0: Don't die on me.
1: I-, I promise I won't, but oh, this cold. <sighs> this week on the Play Ed Podcast, we conclude our month of mystery with 221B Baker Street, the board game classic.
0: Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. Where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Laura. And we're here to explore cultivating connections through play.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, please accept my apologies. I am recovering from illness. So if my voice sounds a little funny, that's why. Uh, you little- mean your
0: voice doesn't always sound funny.
1: Funny like a clown, I amuse you.
0: You are here for my amusement.
1: Okay, just so I understand.
0: All right, yeah, you know.
1: Okay, so a little bit of business before we dive in. As usual, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. a five-star review. Makes it easier for new listeners to find us. And if you're having trouble finding us on any of your podcatchers, uh, just be sure to go ahead and put in Laura and Chris along with PlayEd Podcast in the search terms. Um And you can subscribe to us not only through the Podbean app, but also podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PlayEdPod and follow our Facebook page at PlayEdPodcast.
0: 221B Baker Street is an awesome game.
1: Yes, it is. And a perfect one, I think, to wrap up this month. I think we've, after introducing the genre with Clue, we've been going sort of progressively more complex with what each game is developing in terms of reasoning.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I... Oh, Lord. When did I first play 221B Baker Street? Several years ago. Um, And it was, it was really interesting because it was the first... I think it was the first time I had played a deductive reasoning game that wasn't Clue or something like Mastermind with, you know, the little colored pegs Uh behind the screen kind of a thing. Um, But I was really into Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I was, I'd read all the Conan Doyle stories. Uh, I'd tried some of the, the sort of the, the, I don't know. I'd read a bunch of the Conan Doyle stories. I watched the Jeremy Brett um, adaptations that ran on PBS's Mystery when I was a kid growing up. So the theme of the game, 221B Baker Street, just leapt out at me. Some friends had it. They proposed we'd play it. We sat down. And I was like, oh, this would be just like Clue. And then it really wasn't. No. And um, it's a lot of fun um we managed to get our hands on um what's the what's build is the deluxe edition uh that comes with 200 cases uh i think the original base game only came with like 20 mm-hmm. Um, and then you could buy expansion sets for it.
1: Yes, in fact, I have the helpful Wikipedia article which sums up the whole thing neatly. Why
0: don't you do that for our guests before I continue rambling on and boring them to tears?
1: Certainly. So, 221B Baker Street, the Master Detective Game, is a board game featuring Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle's fictional detective, Sherlock Holmes. It was developed by J. Moriarty, a name that clearly was uh, just fate in the making, (laughs) Uh, In 1975, sold by the John N. Hansen Company in the U.S. since 1977, and players have to solve cases using the clues provided by visiting locations on the board, such as the iconic 221B Baker Street, Scotland Yard, as well as many other London locations. The original game did have 20 cases, and there were expansion sets of 20 cases each. The deluxe edition has an additional new 20 cases for 200 cases in all. And boy,
0: are they challenging.
1: Yes. In addition to the case cards, there is obviously a game board. There are um, solution checklists for the players. There is, for each set of cases, there is a...
0: uh, There's a solution book and a clue uh, book.
1: And then you have uh, tokens... Uh, Monopoly style, they're nice metal ones. These ones, however, are all themed according to images that we associate with Sherlock Holmes, like the deerstalker cap, the violin, the pipe. There are also two kinds of cards, Scotland Yard cards...
0: And skeleton keys.
1: And those play roles in the game when it is being played competitively, which is how the game is designed, to help prevent other players from entering areas for investigation... Or aiding them in getting past the police line. So, to move into actual gameplay.
0: Which, our kids had a blast playing this, and we really enjoyed playing it with them. mm mm-hmm. um, Where to start?
1: Well, I think the starting point would be to say that, similar to Clue, the game is a Go around the game board, using dice rolls to determine movement, and go into different locations to investigate.
0: In order to collect the clues you need to assemble to solve the mystery.
1: However, the mystery is very different. As noted before, and hinted at by the different numbers of cases, each time you play, you're searching for something different. So.
0: So, the game comes with... (laughs) in the version we've got, we've got 200 cases. There are case cards and each case card presents a scenario summary very briefly and compellingly written, but each summary is filled with information that the players need to key into in order to understand what locations on the board to prioritize in the search for clues. And it also lays out who the potential suspects and victim are. They're not all murder cases. Um, and sometimes there's multiple layers of crime involved.
1: And you're given a lettered list at the end of each uh, case summary that tells you all of the items that you are trying to solve to determine whether or not the case is solved. So you might be asked to find out, um, you know the victim, but you need to know what was the weapon that that the victim was killed with what was the motive behind and who was the suspect who is in fact responsible for the crime. That would be one set, but different cases have different things that you're trying to find out. You go around the board and each location, when you enter a location, there is a clue associated with it. It can be no clue, in fact, that there is nothing of significance gained from that site. T- that
0: really surprised the kids when we were playing it. They, oh, they went very to investigate so. somewhere, and it came up no clue. And they were, well, what does that mean? Well, it means there's no clue here. I was like, wait, wait, I can. Th- there's no clue. I'm like, no, there's yeah. no clue.
1: And so, while in a game where a significant element mentions that a cigar box was found open or a particular brand of German cigarette uh, was found at the scene of the crime, the tobacconist might be a valuable place to investigate, there might be a case where the tobacconist has nothing because none of the key players involved had any interest there or any information that would have gone through there. You go around the board. You
0: You gather your clues.
1: And once you have enough clues that you believe that you have the answers, you try to get back to 221B Baker Street to announce that you have solved the crime And give that, at which point you can then look at the solution and determine if the case was solved correctly. Now, it is a competitive game in its original design. And that means if you go into some place, let's say the hotel, and one of the clues there that you find is particularly revealing, one that would open up the case wide open to the other players, you may decide that you want to make it a little harder for them to get that information. You put a Scotland Yard token on that location, and now anyone else who wants to enter there can only enter if they have a skeleton key.
0: It's also a good strategy to do that on the place that has no clue.
1: That's a good way to get some people to waste their time and resources.
0: Exactly. Buying you time to make up for having investigated there.
1: Because if you use your Scotland Yard token, you now have to go to Scotland Yard to get a new one. If you use your skeleton key, you must go to the locksmith, to obtain a new one. So you don't want to use either of these frivolously. Now, that's a pretty fast summary, but it pretty much covers what occurs in the course of a game. The things that we observed were that because you have a different case each time, each game is completely different. And from a replayability standpoint, that was one of the things that really... made the game interesting that you got immersed into this world of Victorian London and every time you played through you're playing a different game you're trying to come up figure out some new thing
0: yes so gameplay is fun gameplay can be fast-paced but it can also drag because you've only got one d6 so one to six movement points and the problem is if you keep rolling low it takes for Ever to get around that board
1: yes i had one of my children one of the ones who typically is very bright and puts things together and he kept rolling ones time and again and again
0: so that's one of the drawbacks i have found that i haven't come up with a good solution to how to work around that without completely unbalancing the game going to 2d6 Um, maybe D6 plus a modifier, like you can always move D6 plus two or something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, that may be worth, uh, exploring when we get to uh, a little bit later in the, in the conversation, but, um, it's fun. It's clearly deductive reasoning. Um, definitely a familiarity with the Sherlock Holmes corpus is beneficial, but not necessary. These are not cases that are taken from, Conan Doyle's works, their cases in the style of, and in many cases, inspired by.
1: Yes, and in fact, one of the things that is mentioned at the very beginning is to pay attention to Sherlock Holmes's maxim of paying attention to the relevant pieces of information. Because in an investigation, you have pieces that are relevant and pieces that are not. And so one of the jobs of your players is to sift through and figure out what are pieces of information that actually reveal something, that And connect. which ones
0: are red herrings or distractions. Um, and again, the only way to do that is to to just get into the gameplay and work your way through it. So, I mean, as far as, let's say, content knowledge, mm-hmm. what what's 221B Baker Street going to offer... You know, the average, say, family of four, um, people who are curious about this game. Uh, wh- why why should people want to play 221B Baker Street?
1: Well, um, as I mentioned, it is set in the world of Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes mysteries. So if you have an interest in um, Victorian London, this is... A great opportunity to dive into that world and play in it particularly if you're reading the Sherlock Holmes mysteries and the nice thing to keep in mind is that those mysteries are fun to read on their own just as entertainment Um, but from a historical standpoint they're ones that were written as contemporary stories so they take place in a world and there's a number of stories set in that time period. So if that's a period of history that you want to study, it's one more thing that gets you engaged and interested in this place and setting.
0: Yeah. The golden age mystery novels really are a a beautiful, beautiful example of living books. And they give you that window. I mean, Dorothy Sayers, Lord Peter Whimsey's are contemporary novels. Um, Marjorie Allingham's Edward Campion stories, the same. Um, Sherlock Holmes takes place at the dawn of what we would think of as forensic criminology as a scientific discipline. Um, And as such, there's a lot of um, color and context for people who are interested in exploring those themes. Um, There are, as we've noted, the the aforementioned uh, deductive reasoning Um, And that
1: definitely moves into the skill development, but I think this is a great example where spending some time with the stories and playing the game together both work on that. Because what the stories do, he doesn't always play fair, but but Arthur Conan Doyle frequently does what's called in the mystery um, novel business, playing fair with the reader, which is that you don't you give your reader as much information as the detective has to solve now like i said he didn't always do that occasionally sherlock would brilliantly pull up out of his case files a memory of something or other and only reveal at the end that he was already suspecting so and so because he happened to know a detail but often in the most important stories the key pieces of information were there like the incident of the dog in the nighttime right what incident? Well, the fact that it didn't bark. That kind of element that, for the reader who's attentive, they should be able to follow along and start learning to pick up and piece together what are the parts of the story that don't make sense, because that's what the mystery will hinge on.
0: And that brings us very naturally to the skill development. And we've, as we've said, the the, the last several episodes that we've done have all been around games that can help cultivate. Um, deductive reasoning skills, and strategic thinking along those lines. 221B Baker Street really clocks in as almost a master class. Um, The the recommended ages on the board are 14 and up. And that's probably about right. Our younger, um, you know, young teens, uh, older grade school kids were... Kind of struggling uh, just to keep up with the information, the diversity of that information, um, making distinctions, drawing inferences. Uh, Our older kids got it. Yeah. Um, The younger ones were able to do so with some help, with a lot of help. Um, So it's really not a game that's going to be appropriate for young kids. We did adapt it. So that everybody could have a good time. And we'll go it, into
1: that a little bit further okay, when we talk yeah. about keeping in the fun zone. But as far as deductive reasoning, this really is the next step. With outfoxed, with Clue, um, even with Mystery of the Abbey, you're still working primarily in the realm of the logic puzzle. Process of elimination of that element of if X is here, it cannot be there. Right. And that is an important level to develop in deductive reasoning. The next step in reasoning is to start seeing pieces and start putting together the invisible lines that tie them. What is the most simple explanation for why something could be in a place and taking into account everything that matters? And that kind of filling in the blank pieces and making those leaps...
0: It's the logical inference. Yes. Yes compared with deductive reasoning. So there's some inductive logic going on as well. Yes. That's the component in terms of skill development that 221B Baker Street adds that really pushes it into that realm where you need teens, older teens, adults.
1: And you've got a couple different things. You've got certain kinds of clues that are word puzzles. So sometimes you'll have um, motive clues or weapon clues or um, clues for who's the, the killer in a murder case that are word puzzles. You'll be given a three- or four-part clue, and each one will be a kind of... A,
0: word a, puzzle on its own. A,
1: a word puzzle on its own, so that by... The, all right, a great example. We happen to have a, a mystery where the motive was romantic jealousy. You had a reference to Caesar to get you Roman. You had the sound of a clock to get you tick. You had an unknown clue that must have given us jello or jelly or something. And then finally a clue that led you towards C. And if you got all four, you easily got what the motive was. You could have, however, inferred it from other clues that you'd picked up around the board. So there were multiple ways to arrive at the motive You had to work your way to accurately getting the right word for the word puzzle. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of elements at play that definitely take this up to a new level of reasoning. And there's a lot going on there. The
0: layered puzzle elements remind me of cryptic crosswords, which we're all so fond of. And I think we discussed when we did our crossword episode some months back. That you've got a straightforward crossword puzzle. It has clues. If you figure out the clues, you can fill in the boxes. And you can use the boxes cross-checking each other to figure out, did you get the answer right? uh, Or do you need to change it? Cryptics add another layer to that. Yeah. Of You have a word puzzle that you have to solve before the clue is even a valid clue that can then help you figure out what the answer is that needs to be put into the box. Um, One of the crosswords we were working recently had some really, really challenging and enjoyable cryptic clues. Um, And I was reminded of that as we were playing 221B Banker Street with the kids, um, in that a bunch of the clues weren't straightforward. You didn't just go to the tobacconist or the hotel and you got another clue that allowed you to say, oh, A plus B equals C. What you got was a fragment of something that in context with other clues and with the story as narrated at the beginning of the game, when you pick your scenario, your case scenario, you could then start drawing inferences from information you have. Cryptic crossword puzzles work in a very similar fashion. Um,
1: and, and so this game really draws you into the the kind of world of Holmes, of having all of these pieces of information and having to tie together and make them make sense. And there's a great deal of delight when you find enough pieces that you start to say, I think I'm seeing what's happening here. Right. And then you get that confirmation. It's like, yes, yes, I figured out how they did it or... What was the reasoning? And it makes sense.
0: So, again, not to beat a dead horse, but you've got a lot of deductive reasoning, um, some reasonable inference, and some multiple layers of puzzle solving with 200 cases to work with. You've got a lot of replayability and variation. You've got enough, in fact, that you could forget the the first ones you played by the time you get all the way through all of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually one of the big drawbacks to the game when I was playing it with my friends. They only had the original case set. And so they'd played it enough that they kind of half knew all the solutions anyway. Um, and you know, we played four or five games in, in the weekend, but we would like randomly draw and, you know, we've only got one in 20 chance. We kind of pulled the same, uh, uh, scenario situation a few times. Um, so if you're interested enough to go out and get it, I would definitely get the, the deluxe edition, get the 200 cases.
1: Especially since it's in it's in print right now, it's probably cheaper to get it, the deluxe edition, than to try go back and get a vintage one. And I noticed nicely that the... Um... They
0: include an order form from the game publisher, uh, that if you need to order replacement parts, or you want to order expansion sets... Um, You can easily do so that's provided um, with their contact info. With any
1: game with consumables where you've got things like those checklists, it's always nice to know that that's available. Although I think with this one, like just about every other game that's got a checklist component, we may again go with the laminate and have a kind of permanent set available for our players. Yeah. Speaking of, I think that brings us into how do we keep it in the fun zone and what adaptations do we make for our not 14-year-old uh, so, children? Yeah,
0: I mean, that was actually the biggest one is is watching how frustrated the younger kids were getting, that they couldn't keep up, they couldn't keep track of all the pieces of information half of them couldn't read the clue books so i was reading it to them but they also weren't at a point where they could write down meaningful notes
1: and that i think is why i was thinking that the um consumable pads make a good transition because that was really what for me said that the 14 and up is appropriate i know that by sixth grade or so i had no problems writing novel length things but i also was a weird kid
0: You're still a weird kid. I love you. Yes,
1: thank you. But there's a lot that you have to take notes. Note-taking skills are actually an element of this game because as you go to different locations, you don't just check off that you visited them. Each location has different information, and it's a lot more complex than was Mr. Green in the room. Right. Because of that, you've got (sighs) a small space, so you need to have a fairly small copy hand. And be able to write down the relevant information in a way that you'll remember it as you pull together the clues. So you need to not only be reasonably literate to read fairly complex um, revelations, you then have to be able to write them down easily and legibly in a small space, which typically doesn't develop until middle school at least.
0: Well, and... You know, Mystery of the Abbey provided those little uh, sort of summary gameplay sheets that you could hide your checklist in. Um, I know in Clue, we always would just fold them over. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't really checklists in Outfoxed because you keep all of that open-faced and on the board because it's cooperative. Uh, Baker Street doesn't really offer any kind of a player mat, so you can fold your sheet or you can flip it over or whatever. Um, but there's also the possibility that your sheet is going to be observed by other players. Right. So if you're trying to keep your, your, what, what you know to yourself, then you've got to find a way of inscribing it that even if, you know, another player glances at it, they can't come away with the information that you already have. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, a lot of these aspects of gameplay push it into that teenager range So what did we do? How did we keep it in the fun zone when we had our kids playing and the younger ones visibly getting frustrated and upset?
1: So our solution was essentially to turn it into a cooperative game. Now, one thing it does is it radically speeds up the playing time. Yes. Because instead of playing it, you know, a 60 to 90 minute game as everyone tries to investigate every or nearly every place on the board, you're now splitting up your you know five to six players among the locations, and so you can rapidly acquire the clues. Um, you, in a cooperative game, thus coordinate to see what are the most useful locations, who's gonna get to them first, have only one card being used to do that, and so whoever has the best handwriting is taking care of keeping log of where you've been, And then from there, everyone together collaborates on trying to make sense of the clues. Now, the game does do something where it gives you a better game ranking if you can solve it with fewer clues. So there's still an element of strategy, even among cooperative play, of do we really need to go to the tobacconist first? And someone's like, yes, yes, of course, there were German cigarettes found at the scene. We'll probably find something interesting there. Or the murder took place at the playhouse, there's probably valuable clues there. Right. That sort of element of gameplay in a cooperative game is going to be just as important. Um, The Scotland Yard uh, and key cards don't make sense within the cooperative game. Right. Because you no longer have a reason to keep people out of locations. Um, and, And that's what we did, is we basically looked through and we said... If we play this with everyone trying to find clues and work together, we call ourselves the Baker Street Irregulars. Well, now we've got a different game dynamic. It makes it a much faster game. It's still very fun because you still have to go through the act of, you know, figuring out who did it and how and and why. And I was watching as we were playing one of the games this way and watching everyone light up as they started to see, oh, I think I know how they did this thing. And, and they
0: start putting the pieces together in the right sequence, and you can see that light bulb mo- moment go off in the kids' heads. Um, and, and, and I don't want to downplay the importance of when you change the dynamic by making it cooperative because you're trying to incorporate younger kids. One, they feel included. They can at least roll the dice and move the pieces, even if sorting through the clues is utterly beyond them. Yeah. But they have an important role. Well, it's also important to let the middle or older kids figure out what's the best strategy for getting people around the board in order to gather the most amount of clues in the shortest period of time. Yeah. And so that was another piece that came out of our adaptation. that isn't necessarily part of the rules as written. You as an individual player in a competitive version of the game, rules as written, you need to figure out what's your strategy for getting information from different places and so forth. Um, and kind of one of the things that I liked, like about um, Mystery of the Abbey better is that there's that interplay between the the different players in the, the way the question and answer dynamic works and the way the passing of the suspect cards occurs yeah um but by the same token it wouldn't fit the flavor of 221b baker street so um all in all biggest pitfalls are um just playing either with people who are too young or who aren't engaged i would not call this a beer and pretzels game um, you you want to pay attention and you want you and everybody at the table need to be willing to kind of think through the puzzle and make some leaps and uh, be willing to take on the role of a Sherlock Holmes or a Watson and try and solve the mystery. Um, there aren't any gimmies.
1: That's very true.
0: Um, and so if you want, you know, it's it's I'm, it, it is very fun. It can play very quickly. Um,
1: and playing rules is written, if you're working with older students, um, older kids, you can still have a really good game playing along that, that competitive, as you remember from your own childhood, that it's, it's engaging. Um, being able to adapt it for younger players or a more mixed group is a nice option to still be able to play it. Uh, but the advantage is that with 200 Mysteries... Unless this is the only game in your house, you can start out with younger players familiarizing them, and at some point, they're all going to be old enough to say, you know what, let's play it the way it was designed, and there's still going to be more mysteries that they haven't run across, or it's going to be years since they did those first ones. Right,
0: right. So I, I think that that pretty much sums it up. It's, um, I, I would say it's probably a really good um, like date night game. If you've got, you know, teens who are dating, young adults who are dating, if you yourself are dating, you're looking for something to do that's not the run of the mill and that's going to spark some conversation. Uh, this would be a game to get people talking around a table um, and it scales up. Um, I know we had what six players with the kids,
1: and it's and it, accommod, it, it accommodates up to six. Okay. Uh, which means that any more than that, and you'd have to team people up to play together, but
0: uh, or you just put more tokens on the board and try and distribute the information uh, farther and wider. Yes. Um, I mean, it really you really could scale it up, but I would say beyond about six, it probably gets pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, it's it's a lot of fun. Well worth uh, adding to your game collection if you don't already have it. And um,
1: definitely a, a masterclass in deductive reasoning, and uh, that, and thus making it appropriate for those older students. That as you continue to help develop that skill, it's it's that next step into being able to look at disparate pieces of information and say, how does this make sense? In what world do these pieces make sense? And then. You have that light bulb moment. You say, "In this one,"
0: and, and it's interesting because I was thinking about Clue, and I remember we were talking about this during the the Clue episode, and also just in, in the the whole month we've been talking about these things off the air. And one of these experiences, almost everyone I know has had, is at some point you hit a game of Clue, and you're like, "Okay, that's it. This is boring. This is like the same game of Clue I've always played." And the the Parker Brothers solution, what, 25, 30 years ago, was to put out Clue Master Detective. More rooms, more weapons, more suspects, more players. Great. It's still the same fundamental gameplay. Um, mystery of the Abbey takes a different approach. It says, let's add more qualities to the suspect and remove the weapon and the um, location mystery components. Um, and so you get a much more logic, puzzly, deductive reasoning game going within the context of the monastery, which, as we were talking about last episode, has a lot of elements that dictate how long does a turn go on, and that puts a hard limit on the game. 221B Baker Street is really, I think, the ideal step beyond either of those, because it's, it's, it's the best answer I've found so far. To the question, well, what is there after Clue? If you want the same kind of game in terms of solving puzzles, but you want to go beyond really simple, relatively simple logic puzzles with with limited elements, Baker Street's a great place to look.
1: Okay. Let's take a moment to hear a few more things from children that we've asked questions about games. (coughs)
0: What do you like about playing games? I don't like. What don't you like about playing games? Uh, because whenever someone like wins, uh, I start a tantrum like that, and also, um, uh, because sometimes they have rude jokes, ah. and, and also. Sometimes I'm not in the game. Okay. That's all. All right. Thank you both.
1: And with that, I think that should wrap us up for today. We hope you've enjoyed today's discussion. All of the games we've mentioned can be found in the show notes. But now it's your turn to talk to us. You can write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PlayEdPod. You can find us on Facebook at Podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.
0: Have a good one. Mike's hot and we're off.
1: Am I close enough?
0: I think so. Is your phone muted?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Okay, so is mine. Okay, cool. Well, that was just stirring.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so I wanted to have this another. uh...
0: Stop saying so. Who are we asking? We have some
1: stuff we recorded from Xander from last time.
0: Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize. We that. need
1: to get another stock recorded. But uh, we-
0: Victoria's been begging to get recorded. Yes. <clears throat> All the kids want in on the show now.
1: Oh, N- naturally.